So I have a question for you. What motivated you to come to church today? To be here at Community? I had a few texts from people the last couple days and said, I'm looking forward to your message Sunday. And then this morning I had one from a dear friend. He said, unable to be there, but praying for you. I will share with you, uh, maybe some of you are coming here just because this is what you do on Sunday. Come to church. Maybe some of you saw the title and said, ah, I need to find joy too. Where might that joy, how, how might I find that joy? So this morning we're going to talk about three, a good Calvinistic message, I guess I would say, for those of you who like that, um, of what it means to thank, to be thanking, thinking, and loving. This, uh, this text is probably one of the most well-known texts in the Bible. Some weeks ago when Pastor Trent shared that I was on for this Sunday and I saw the text, I said, ah, he said, you're going to like this, aren't you? Yeah, because it speaks deeply. It's penned by Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome, knowing full well that uh, he would die soon. But he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. And I guess I want to call it, maybe it had a name. Could I give it a name? Could I, could, I, could I step out a little bit, maybe call it the Gospel Community Church at Philippi? Sound like it rings familiar to the Gospel Community Church we're planting on the north side of Holland? You see, this was Paul's very first church plant on the continent of Europe. His very first plant, and uh, on his second missionary journey, he writes to them about humility, about having a servant attitude, about unity together, and about the Christian life. And then I'll say this, it's all infused with this, a bolus of joy. Because in Philippians, Paul speaks of joy numerous times in those four brief chapters. Paul's thanking them for their gift, strengthening them them with a joy that can only come through Christ alone. If there could be a scripture hall of fame, did you ever think of that? Think about if you have a scripture hall of fame. I can imagine that that might include John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Maybe it might also include Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. It might also include those words of Jesus when he taught the disciples the prayer of the Lord, the Lord's prayer. But I will tell you, I believe Philippians 4, 4 through 7 would be in the scripture Hall of Fame. In fact, according to Bible Gateway, it's the most often referred to text by people who visit that site. Isn't that interesting? I have shared this scripture at many a bedside in the hospital. 
and at home with people. Rich words that speak to the depth of the heart of the Apostle Paul. He talks about joy. In a world that, quite frankly, where we live, people are seeking and searching for happiness. Not so much joy. You see, one cannot be happy, but can be joyful. It's much deeper. Paul is actually writing these words from a Roman prison. In fact, if, uh, if you understand and can look at the context of the apostle, the fact is, when he wrote these words, uh, remember this. It was in Acts 9 that Jesus confronted him, remember, on the road to Damascus. And he said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul fell to his knees and was blinded. And I believe we can actually say he received in some way a resurrection power. Because when his sight was restored three days later, he saw much differently than he had ever seen before. He had seen who Christ was the very one he was persecuting, the people, the followers of the way. So in the context, think of this as we look at this scripture in a moment. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul shares this. He says, uh, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, five times Paul was beaten to a pulp. That was not only it. He was beaten three times with rods, he said. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A day and a night he was at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. He was hungry and thirsty. Often he was without food. He was hungry. He was cold and had, was ex exposed to that cold and heat. And apart from all these things, he says, I had, <laughs> he said, I had the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. Quite a picture, isn't it? This is Paul. Having prior lived a totally different life. In fact, in some ways, we could call Paul, prior to his conversion, he was a Hebrew poster child. After all, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was legalistic in his, his religion. And the fact is, uh, he had a zeal for persecuting the church. But now this is a new Paul, not Saul, but Paul. So it speaks to us maybe in a way that I want you to understand and, and try to realize the context in which Paul writes these words. This is the final chapter of Philippians chapter four. So listen to these words from the book we love, from Philippians four, starting with verse four. But we're going to go through verse 13 because it really fits to keep that together. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think, or I'll say in another translation, it says, meditate on these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put them into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern to me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this to you because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whether in plenty or in need. He says this now, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Wow. Beautiful words that Paul shares with us. The reality, though, is anxiety is a big issue, isn't it? What he's talking about, though, what Paul's talking about in Greek is a debilitating anxiety. It's one in which you just don't know which way to turn. And I think Paul could empathize with that, don't you? Think about his life. Think about the times, had he not looked to Christ, where would he be? What a crippling anxiety that would be. So, Paul, whose life prior to Christ was a very unique life in many ways. You can see why the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, hated him. You can see why Nero, who had such a disdain for Christians, would soon take Paul's life and order his life taken. Yet Paul begins with rejoice in the Lord always, not sometimes, all the time. In fact, he repeats it again, I will say rejoice and then let your gentleness be evident to all. That gentleness is a word in Greek that means steadfast, mature. He's looking at it in a little different way than what we may think of gentleness a steadfast, mature place in our life. But this, the scripture really overall speaks of the sovereignty of God. 
He's sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. God's never helpless. He's never frustrated. God's never at a loss. And in Christ, God's awesome sovereign providence is the place we feel most reverent, most secure, and most free. That's what Paul's talking about. Despite all that he has experienced, a word that resonates. And in Philippians 2, just a couple weeks ago, you heard this word. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considering the needs of others better than yourselves. You see, Paul's sharing an inner contentment. I'll call it a inner equilibrium change. He's got something. It's void of negative thoughts. He reveals a peace that transcends all understanding. Do you know anyone like that? I can tell you this. I've sat with people under hospice care, end of life, that exhibit, exude a joy that is unbelievable. It's a joy that can only come from Christ. I've been blessed. I will say I have the best calling at Community Church because I get to see people and be with them in tough times, but blessed times. As I look out, I can say that because when I see many of your faces, we've walked together, had a few tears together, prayed together. An inner joy that I've been blessed to see in many people. But the fact is, many Christians today have lost their joy. I think it's time to reclaim it. I think it's time for us to take that joy, that very joy that came from such an extravagant gift of God's grace. That's who we're called to be as Christians, to be filled with joy. Despite all the circumstances, let's be honest, there's a lot of difficulties in our lives, isn't there? There's disease, there's divorce, there's death. Tough things. But the fact is, many Christians today would like to live a life that's, I'll call Christianity light. Um, that's kind of the health and prosperity gospel. The more faith I have, the more I'll be blessed. Totally flies against the face of the gospel message. In fact, um, but some believe, because I go to church, because I've checked the box, because I've done these things, that I should, I should be blessed with less things that happen to me. The reality is, is that's not the case. Many would, well, let me use a statistic. It comes from a dear friend of mine, Dan Van Omen. He lives in Zealand, and he publishes little editorials in the Saturday paper in the Holland Sentinel, you know, the paper that's about three pages. Um, boy, I could get in real trouble for that, couldn't I? 
forgive me. But the fact is, he said, he said this, he said, Christianity light, he said, they'd prefer 30% less trials, 40% less affiliations, 50% less confusion, and 70% less pain. It's everything we wanted from God and less. It's kind of like light yogurt, light cottage cheese, light beer. We have a lot of lights today, don't we? There's a lot of things that are light. And the fact is, many put Christianity in that spot. They'd like it to be Christianity light. But that's not the reality. It's certainly not free. Our life is not free from suffering and trial. It may be an expectation, but that's not the reality. We're called to that. And Paul knows that, and he shared it. So the first thing I want to share with you is, and I have a story for you in a few moments that I think will help put a little cap to this. The first thing that Paul says is we should come to God in thankfulness. Now, realizing to pray in petition with thanksgiving. So Paul's saying pray to God, thanking him already, knowing and trusting in what I shared with you earlier, the sovereignty of God, that he knows better. Maybe in some ways we could say, Father knows best. The fact is, thanking God when praying, knowing and having a deep trust. In Hebrew, the word is batak, which is a trust, it's so deep. It's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. There's nothing outside. God will... God will always do what God does. And after all, God, if God gave me what I would have asked for if I knew everything he knew. Did you ever think of that? If I had the mind of God, I would never question what I... Well, he's calling us not to question, just to trust. And I have to tell you, I think we should make, instead of prayers that have lists, you know, many make lists. These are all the things I want. I want to encourage you to think about specific prayers in praying. For instance, I had it the other day where I met with someone last week, and I knew it was going to be a tenuous time together. And one of the things I prayed for was that God would change my heart. He would give me a heart that was open and understanding, and that he'd also work in the heart of the person I was meeting with, Maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe in your work. Maybe Monday morning, tomorrow at 10 a.m., you have a meeting with employees, someone who reports to you, or maybe who you report to. You know, pray about that. You see, prayer changes you. God works by his Holy Spirit in a mighty way in our hearts. So pray thanking God, knowing and trusting that his will will be done in heaven, as it, in earth as it is in heaven. So that's trust. And we need to understand, as Romans 8.28, when Paul said this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. But the very fact is it's difficult, isn't it? 
to be that place of thankfulness. In fact, I'll say to this, the reality is we're called to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, aren't we? The fact is, I don't always like God. Do you? Pastor Trent and I and other pastoral staff will, will stand in the choir room with individuals, and some of you there will have remembered what we've said in the death of a loved one. It's okay to shake your fist at God. God is God, and God can handle it. He understands. He doesn't like death, disease, the difficulties, divorce, grief, the things that we deal with. But he calls us to love him, to trust him, even when it's hard to like him. The fact is, he's sovereign. And many today believe more in a deistic God. I want to encourage you, deism is not what we believe. That's not what scripture teaches. God just didn't create the world like a clock and wind it up and then set it out there and let it go. No, God is involved in all of our lives. Think of the account of Joseph. Think of what happened to him. You know, the one whose brothers loved him so much they sold him into slavery. And then what happened? He became under Pharaoh. Pharaoh's wife went at him, grabbed his cloak, ended up in prison. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been through an awful lot. But Joseph never lacked a trust in his sovereign God. He had a faith that was deep. And in Genesis 50, do you remember what happened? His brother's eyes were opened. Remember there was a famine in the world and Egypt was the one because that had food because of Joseph's ability to manage so well. Actually, being in second in command. What happened then? Joseph looked at his brothers and said, you may have meant it for evil, but God used it for good. You see, that's having understanding the mind of God. And it's hard for us because we're not God, but we're called to trust him. So my friends, think in a thankful way when you pray. Live a life of thankfulness as Paul did, which leads us to thanking or thinking after thanking. Remember he said these, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What Paul's telling us is we need to think of those attributes. And quite frankly, there's only one who fills those, and that's God. And then as revealed in Jesus, his son. That's who we should think about. The problem with the world today is it doesn't think. Just look at the world. Is anybody thinking anymore? We're thinking about things that are certainly not certain, are they? So Paul's telling us this. Think about those things that are immutable. In other words, that will not change, that theological term, versus those things that are immutable, things that do change. Where do we put our trust 
in the sovereign God. It's not in relationships. I love my spouse dearly. I take a bullet for her. But she is not changeless. My grandchildren, I love them. Had I known they were going to be so much fun, I would have skipped the other step. <laughs> but, but I love them. But that's not my identity. My children, that's not my identity. Being a pastor really is not my identity. It's who I am in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Think about those things that do not change. Those are the things that are true, that are noble, that are right. Paul is trying to share that with us. Because think again about where he's been. How could anyone go through what he's gone through unless he put his trust in a sovereign God who's immutable? But we'd rather worship the created things, wouldn't we, versus the creator. That's who we're called to think about. So thankfulness, thinking, and loving. Think about what he did for you and for me. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and was obedient to death, even to death on a cross. But therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, my friends, that's who we're called to be loving to, the very one who, who had all the peace of the universe, of the world, who gave himself, he gave that peace up for us to have peace. That, my friends, is extravagant grace. That is why we as Christians should baffle those around us with a joy that they can't figure out. What is it? It's because my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is who we're called to be. One day, we will meet our Savior face to face. And what a day that will be. But until then, we have work to do. You see, to be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. The one changes your destination. The other changes your destiny. The one makes you fit for heaven. The other makes you fit for earth. The one makes heaven your home, but the other makes this world his workshop. My friends, the world needs to see joy. Share that joy, a joy that comes 
from a peace. It doesn't come from reading self-help books. They're okay, so don't shoot me on this one. Uh, it doesn't come from meditation or exercise classes or that, although those are helpful. It comes from acknowledging the power of the Holy Spirit in you. For Christ to be in you, in you and him. That is a life of joy. Philippians, a short, short letter. In fact, it's 104 verses. That's all. On an average, every two and a half verses, Paul speaks of Christ. No surprise. In all of Paul's writings, he speaks of Christ. But Philippians is a special letter. It was written to the church at Philippi, and it's written to the church at 10376 Felch in Zealand, Michigan. It's written for you and for me to live out a life of joy. The story I want to share with you. His name was Zwadian. This was just a few short months ago that this story was reported. It actually came through Voice of the Martyrs, so if that tells you a little bit on the context of this story. Zwadian lived in Gadagodgo, Nigeria. Don't ask me to say that too fast. It was a, it's a Christian community in Nigeria, and, uh, and it had been attacked over some time by Fulani herdsmen. Now, these Fulani herdsmen were radicalized under Boko Haram, the extremist Islamic group. They had ravaged the village, burned a number of houses, their church buildings, and persecuted and even killed some people. But Zwadian had a sister. Her name was Mary, and, and he also had a grandmother. Well, Mary and her grandmother were not in the village. They had evacuated, and, but she wanted to come back. Part of the reason was grandma wanted to come home and, because she had a terminal illness and she wanted to die at home, not be away from the home in which she lived. No surprise, is it? But Zwadian tried to convince his sister, please don't come home. It's still too volatile here. We may come under attack again, and I don't want anything to happen to you or Grandma. Well, Mary came home. The Fulani herdsmen did attack, and although Mary and her grandmother hid in the back room of the little home they had, they found them. And as Mary was laying prone, stomach down, face down, on the floor, she was asked, are you a Christian? She responded, I am. And at that moment, her life was taken. The grandma was so stricken in grief that she died two late days later. But this is what I want to share with you because this is an inner joy, an inner peace. Zwadian said this, and I quote, I find it hard sometimes to sleep because of the killings. And although I think about these things throughout the night, I have a consolation in Jesus Christ. Whatever happens in this life, our faith in him, our belief and trust in him, 
will always help us overcome. If I have a way of embracing the killer to show him my love, I would. Because I'm sure that if God had not allowed this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. I would even use that time to tell him of the love of Jesus Christ. God is still alive. There's still hope. Whatever happens in this life, so long as one is still in Jesus Christ, there is always hope. Could I have responded like that with what had happened? I think I would be troubled. But Swadian, that's how deep his faith, his joy, a peace that transcends all understanding that guarded his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. Now I want to project a picture for you. You want to see a picture of joy? Look at Pastor Mata. Is he up on the screen? Yeah. Now, have you ever seen joy like that? Pastor Mata is in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, which is uh, under high persecution. There's been many battles there. And he presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way he looks. Now there, my friends, is a picture of joy. And he said this, my peace that comes from God through my faith in Christ surpasses all understanding. My friends, living a life of thankfulness, of thinking about our creator, worshiping him, trusting in him, and loving him. That's who you and I are called to reflect. So as we conclude this series, this brief series on the book, the letter to the church at Philippi, if you haven't done it a few weeks ago, I encouraged in the nine o'clock service to read it. Just sit and read it. Let it soak through and in you. Beautiful words, just 104 verses that refer to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, for how you touched his heart, how you touched his soul, to bring a man who once persecuted the church the way to one who settled more churches and wrote more letters and has had more influence in the gospel of Jesus Christ than we can even imagine. Lord, let our gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And help us to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that we may present our request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your words for us today. And we ask now that behind those words and behind anxiety, often there is guilt. But we're called to confess, just as David did, to confess our sins, to repent in turn. Help us to do and reflect what the gospel calls us to do. 
to turn our hearts, our lives to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. What a joy it's been for me to be with you this morning. And uh, so let's make his joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. In Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, he said, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one of us can boast. For we are God's workmanship, you and I, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you, smile at you, and give you his shalom, shalom.